Hello, everybody, and welcome to Behind Enemy Lines. I'm your host, Alejandro Suniga, here from the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com. The Michigan football team dominated on the road against Nebraska this past weekend, 45-7, made it look easy, and they are heading back west for another Big Ten showdown. Battle for the Little Brown Jug against the Golden Gophers Saturday night at Huntington Bank Stadium. That's a 7.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. We're going to be talking all about the Gophers with Ryan Burns, who covers them for Gopher Illustrated, part of our 24-7 sports network. And then we will turn our attention to a very busy week at Michigan State. There was NIL news. There was a football game that they played and lost. And then there was the beginning of their national coaching search as the Spartans look toward the future of their program and what will follow after the fallout from Mel Tucker. No Ohio State segment this week, as the Buckeyes were on a bye, but there is plenty of good intel about the Gophers, of course, about what's happening in East Lansing. So let's dive right in. Here's my conversation with Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrated. Welcoming to the show today, Ryan Burns, who covers the Minnesota Gophers over at Gopher Illustrated. Uh, It's been a up and down start to the season for for Minnesota this year, Ryan. The Gophers are three and two, three and zero at home, zero and two on the road. Uh, notable wins over Nebraska to open up the season. Uh, coming in off a win off Louisiana last week, thirty five to twenty four, uh, with losses at UNC, and then the one that really jumps out and kind of reverberated across the college football world a little bit uh, was that come from behind loss to Northwestern. Uh, so I just want to take a quick look at the the Minnesota program as a whole, right? PJ Fleck is in his seventh year as Minnesota's coach. It's a program that maybe quietly has has back to back nine win seasons. I say maybe quietly because maybe that's the perspective of someone who covers Michigan. Uh, Michigan and Minnesota haven't really played a whole lot recently. Uh, they played in 2020, which is a year that, for many reasons, Michigan fans like to forget. Uh, 2017, uh, that was a game at Michigan stadium. That was at night, a rain delay that Michigan won. Uh, and then the one that kind of, well, one of the symbolic wins of the early Harbaugh tenure was that 2015 game that Michigan won, uh, with the goal line stand in the final seconds. So it feels like PJ Fleck has developed this program into his own, uh, without really playing Michigan a whole lot. So, so Ryan, give us a bit of insight. How has he done that? Are Minnesota fans happy with what PJ Fleck has done? What's the trajectory of this program as we're entrenched in the Fleck era? Yeah, I'd say the older fans would tell you they're not too thrilled that the little brown jug isn't played for every year. Now, myself being 31 years old, I'm incredibly apathetic to it compared to uh, Minnesota playing teams like Iowa or Wisconsin every year. But you mentioned it, and I think people forget about it sometimes the last three full seasons when you take out the COVID years so 19 22 and 21 they've won nine games or more like this is the University of Minnesota and you have to have your expectations aligned that you're not going to be Michigan every year now this year has certainly not gone I would say as expected now I was there in Evanston for the one of the biggest meltdowns I've ever seen in the fourth quarter you're up 21 points with 13 minutes to go find a way to lose it on the last play of the game, lose it on the first play of the end of overtime. I mean, it was just, it was a debacle. But that's where, you know, you wonder what the what the perception is of this game. If Minnesota just hangs on to a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter against Northwestern, and they're 4-1, and one, Michigan 5-0. and oh. But I would say that 
I think expectations for when he came here to where he is now in year seven. Now we'll see how the rest of the season goes for Minnesota. But I think he's slightly exceeded expectations, I would say. Now, the only thing that I wouldn't say in terms of exceeding them is you won nine or more games each of the last three full seasons and you never won a Big Ten West. You found so many different ways to not win the West, which allowed teams like Iowa and even Purdue last year to go to Indianapolis and not you. Uh, So we'll see what happens here with the rest, because as you've seen from the Big Ten West here into October, it is arguably the Westiest of all the West, uh, with (laughs) Cade McNamara now going out for the year. Wisconsin looks okay, and maybe they're the favorite now. I'm not incredibly sure, but uh, it's it's certainly going to be an interesting one. But I think Fleck has done a pretty good job here at Minnesota. Hey, don't don't count out Northwestern, right? Yeah. Um, But but diving into the Gophers, uh, let's start with quarterback as we usually do, just because that's that's the position that is typically the most important one on the football field. Uh, Gophers are led by Ethan Kaliak Manis, uh, who through the year has got a fifty nine percent completion percentage, five touchdowns, four interceptions, averaging one hundred forty nine yards uh, passing per game. Uh, he's decently mobile. Uh, he's got a couple quarter, a couple touchdowns on the ground. A net gain uh, of 92 rushing yards so far this season. Uh, take us through what he he brings to this offense. I know that that Minnesota, like Michigan, is a team that likes to run the ball. So you know, if you look at say JJ McCarthy's stats, they're not the gaudiest stats, despite the fact that he's arguably uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the country right now. Uh, what should Michigan fans expect uh, out of Kaliak Manis? Uh, they should look at the the game log, and I think it kind of tells the story in terms of he played all right in his first couple of games. Now, three of his, or at least two of his interceptions hit the tight end directly in the hands and then just bounced to a guy. It's not where he completely threw. It was just a complete error pass. He's had uh, a couple of his interceptions be uh, just hitting a guy in the hands, and it just goes right to a defender. But I think the last two weeks they've taken a lot off his plate trying to see what he can handle because this is his first true year as the guy. Now, I know he started games for them last year uh, down the stretch, but for him, it's just a mentality, I think. He's only a third-year quarterback, someone that doesn't have a ton of experience. I think this will be his 10th or 11th start and his sixth start as the guy. But you look at the last two weeks where he's completing 78% of his passes, four touchdowns, one interception – I mean, I think that's a more accurate representation of how he's been playing of late. So he's been playing a lot better coming into this game. But I'll say this. I mean, it's they're not Minnesota's. I have just fully come around to they're not going to be able to run the ball against Michigan. Peace and love to the Minnesota moving company up front trying to run the ball against Michigan so far this year. And I understand that many Gopher fans tell me, well, who has Michigan played? I hear you. But that Michigan team defensively is so, so stout. And that's where the last couple of weeks, he's only thrown the ball 14 to 19 times. Well, in this game, he's going to have to probably throw the ball 30 times if Minnesota's going to win. So it's going to be trying to keep him upright, trying to make sure that he's got a clean pocket to deliver it from. Uh, he was tremendous on play action last week. With I uh, completed 100% of his throws with both touchdowns. So it's going to be trying to figure out a way to continue to keep him in rhythm, which they have been able to do the last couple of weeks. You mentioned that he hasn't really thrown the ball a whole lot. Uh, maybe one of those reasons is because Chris Altman Bell hasn't really been a factor this year, right? I was really excited at Big Ten Media Day uh, because when they listed the players who were coming, it said mm-hmm. Chris Altman Bell dash seventh year. 
which is a lot of years uh, to be playing college football. Uh, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that he was recovering from a knee injury, maybe an ACL, and that's the reason he hasn't really factored uh, a whole lot, if at all, this year. Uh, so, so when Calic Manis is, you know, is potentially throwing the ball more than he's used to in this game against Michigan, uh, who are the targets uh, that he's going to be looking out for? Yeah, Chris Ottmanbell is about a year-ish now removed from his ACL and meniscus, so it wasn't just one thing. It was it was a major knee surgery, and I tried to tell people all offseason that any expectations for him in September, whatever you have, they're more lofty than I had. Uh, that's why he doesn't have a catch. He was out last week um, after being questionable the, the previous few weeks, so I think Minnesota's hoping to get him back after the bye, which is after this Michigan game. Um, you know, their tight end Brevin Span Ford has been an enigma. Part of why this passing game has struggled is because there were a ton of expectations for Brevin Span Ford. And one of the best pro football focus graded tight ends last year, 80 plus grades. I believe it. I mean, he played really well, had the most catches for Minnesota tight ends since Matt Spath did it in 2006. And he just flat out hasn't been good. I mentioned that Cali McManus had a couple of interceptions just come off of tight end's hands. That spans for that span forwards. I mean, a six-year guy who has NFL aspirations that was on NFL draft boards, and it just hasn't gone well for him in the first five games of the year. And they're trying to figure out how to get him back on track. But I said the two guys that are probably going to be number one and number two in targets on Saturday, two wide receivers, one by the name of Daniel Jackson, who uh, has really come onto the scene here, I would say, in the last 12 games, last six of last year. Um, plus the bowl game, plus the first five of this year. It's coming off a two-touchdown performance last week. And then Western Michigan transfer, Corey Crooms, has been really good for Minnesota in the slot. So as Minnesota tries to figure out ways to move the ball on this defense, I would say that you're going to see a lot of number nine, Daniel Jackson. Then you'll also be seeing a lot of Corey Crooms as well. Now, Ryan, you mentioned that you don't think, after watching some film, that, that Minnesota is going to be able to run the ball super effectively on Michigan. But so mm-hmm. far this year, that that sort of has been their bread and butter, right? And I've it's been funny, a little eye-opening, I think, every week when we get the, the Big Ten Player of the Week emails uh, to scroll down and see Minnesota running back on there. It feels like every single week. Right. Um, so run game has been successful. Big Ten Freshman of the Week bunch of awards in a row. I know injury has been an issue there. Uh, Darius Taylor, I know, missed the last game. Um, but who are the running backs? Uh, you know, who are the, those players who have been so electric so far this year? And I guess more importantly, uh, on the offensive line, who, who are the guys who, who they're running behind uh, that actually makes that possible? Yeah, the Minnesota Moving Company has been better. Uh, game one against Nebraska, they were out of source. They didn't run the ball well at all in that game. Black Turk took that very personally. They came out and ran it against Eastern Michigan about 50 times to kind of prove some things. Uh, they were able to run the ball some against North Carolina. They were able to run the ball against Northwestern. Obviously, again, last week, that's how you have the a Minnesota freshman running back has now, as you said, been the four-time reigning freshman of the week in the Big Ten. Now, they're led by Darius Taylor, yeah, someone who played at Wald Lake Western, someone that I believe Michigan tried to flip last year in the senior year. They weren't able to get it done. Uh, the question is, is he going to be back for this game? He missed last week's game after on his, on his 31st carry against Northwestern. Uh, he was rolled up on a little bit. Fleck came out and said after the game on Saturday that Darius didn't practice all week. So I have a hard time kind of believing that Darius is going to go from all DNPs in practice the week before to playing in this game against Michigan, especially with a bye week coming up. 
that's where if it is not if Darius isn't able to go, uh, you're going to be looking at a guy like Zach Evans, who's now the reigning Big Ten freshman of the week. I would say he's the most talented of probably the backs they use. Someone who had 85 yards, 15 carries, bigger back, north-south type of guy, but can make a man miss. They've also got Sean Tyler there, another Western Michigan transfer. Just went over 3,000 career FBS rushing yards last week. Certainly a one-cut-and-go guy, very much a speed back, someone that Minnesota is going to try to get on the perimeter. So if Minnesota is able to run the ball at any point uh, on Saturday night, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of number 26, Zach Evans. You're going to see a lot of uh, Sean Tyler as well, number two, and then you'll see Bryce Williams on third downs. But, I mean, Minnesota's got to figure out a way to be able to move the ball on early downs or else if Michigan just can pin their ears back, it's going to be a long day. Now, defensively, uh, Minnesota pretty consistent in the fact that their statistics kind of pop up near the middle of the Big Ten, um, currently allowing 21.6 points per game, 361 yards, 127 yards on the ground. It's I think all of those were actually ninth in the Big Ten. Uh, against Louisiana, uh, seven plays of 15 yards or more in the first half, uh, including some QB runs, but they cleaned things up in the second half uh, in that victory. Uh, what are there names to know on the Minnesota defense? Like what are the things that they've done? Well, what are some areas you feel like Michigan could exploit heading into that North Carolina game? Minnesota's defense had allowed 20 or more points in their previous eight games in each one of them. And now the last three weeks, they've allowed 31, 37 and 24. Uh, it's been a struggle here recently for them. Uh, you look at why did Minnesota allow 30 plus points to North Carolina and Northwestern? Well, it turns out when you allow over 400 passing yards per game, it's going to be tough to not allow a lot of points. And why is that? Because they kept giving up explosive passing plays. I will say this. I'm I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see what Minnesota does defensively in this game because they have been largely pretty good at stopping the run. And they have been the entire Joe Rossi tenure. And I think Minnesota's defensive line will be probably the toughest test that they've had so far. Michigan, that being up front, I know that uh, Minnesota East, which is what I call Rutgers because their defensive coordinator, Joe Harris-Simiak. Where was he before that? Minnesota. Rutgers offensive coordinator, Kirk Shiraka. Where was he before that? Minnesota. So I would imagine that Minnesota is having some conversations this week with some former position coaches or coordinators to say what worked against Michigan, what didn't work against Michigan. But last week against Louisiana, it was a step forward to an extent. Uh, I think Louisiana is probably a better team than what people give them credit for. They're one of the contenders in the Sun Belt this year, uh, an offense that hadn't scored under 31 points in a game. Minnesota should have only allowed 17 in that game before a late 50-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter kind of spoiled that. But they're pretty good up front in terms of Minnesota's defensive line. Their linebackers are struggling. Their best linebacker hasn't played this year. He suffered a soft tissue injury in fall camp, number 45, Cody Lindenberg. And we haven't seen him yet. Uh, he's been out there in terms of trying to warm up. They haven't given him the green light yet. And once again, as I continue to say, with a bye week after Michigan, I'm wondering if they just give it another week to heal, get him up to speed on the bye week. But I think that Michigan is going to pick on Minnesota's linebackers with misdirection, different things to try and get their eyes out of the right spot. Uh, and then they're led in the secondary by Justin Wally and Tyler Newbin, Tyler Newbin being their best player. Uh, second team all Big Ten selection last year. He's got three interceptions already so far this year. Someone that's going to play a lot of center field, especially on passing downs. 
So we're going to have to see how McCarthy versus Jay, uh, excuse me, Tyler Newbin goes on Saturday night. Well, finally, Ryan, it's a 19 and a half point spread at last check. Uh, Michigan's favored uh, over the Gophers. It'll be a night game. Uh, looking forward to that fall crisp weather uh, in <laughs> Minneapolis, as we were talking about a, a stark difference from the high 80s, low 90s from the last couple of days. Uh, as we're gearing up for this game, as we're gearing up for the battle for the little brown jug, uh, a rivalry, which I think I'm a little higher on than you are, uh, maybe because Michigan wins that game a little bit more consistently than the Gophers. <laughs> but well, what are you going to be looking for uh, on Saturday evening? How, maybe how do you see the game playing out or, or what's uh, one specific area that, that you'll really be keying in on during the game? Well, it's probably because I have flashbacks to one of the most recent times where Michigan came here. Minnesota thinks they score a touchdown within the final minute of the game from a, a guy by the name of Drew Wolitarski. And, I mean, the, the story is so um, vividly clear for me now because those coaches have now since told the story. of They thought they scored with about 45 seconds left. They're mm-hmm. celebrating in the press box. Turns out he's ruled down at the one. No one realizes the clock is running, and Minnesota calls a plays with four shifts and motions. Yep. No one tells the head coach, Jerry Kill, to call a timeout at any point. Minnesota doesn't score on a goal line, and Michigan walks away with a gifted victory. So, I mean, here's what I'll say is for the game on Saturday night, I'm not meaning to blow smoke, but I think this might be the most talented team that P.J. Fleck has arguably played in his head coaching tenure. Uh, I think it's certainly the most talented Michigan team that I've covered or well, I've have seen in person. I think it's the most talented team that Minnesota's played since probably 2018 Ohio State. Now, Minnesota, like we've talked about, isn't a pushover. Uh, Minnesota has the talent to compete in any game that they play in this year, but they haven't been able to play 60 minutes of complimentary football consistently at any point, whether it's, it's offense, defense, and special teams. So I just have a hard time kind of believing it's all going to come together against a team like Michigan. Now, to your point, Minnesota's played better at home than on the road. Uh, it's going to be a sellout. I think the atmosphere is going to be really good here at Huntington Bank Stadium. But if Minnesota's going to have a chance in this game, it comes down to explosive plays. You can't allow, you know, whether it's Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum, J.J. McCarthy, to generate explosive plays, make them go the whole length of the field, which they're certainly capable of doing. But offensively, Michigan hasn't allowed more than seven points in any game. If you're going to have a shot at this thing, you got to get to at least 17, if not 20. So it's going to be just coming out with a degaff mentality on offense. You have to throw the entire kitchen cupboard out there because to your point, you're a three touchdown home underdog. What do you have to lose? No one thinks you're going to win this game publicly, but you have to at least throw everything you can to try and give Michigan fits because they're just too talented to win against 11 on 11. So that's what I want to see is Minnesota come out and play with more of a reckless mentality that they have nothing to lose because they truly don't. No one's expecting you to win this game. That's the number two team in the country, a, a team that is a college football playoff contender, a team that the senior bowl is going to take 55 of their players from uh, after the season. So again, Minnesota is certainly capable of be- making this a game into the second half, maybe giving Harbaugh, Uh, maybe a run for his money a little bit, but it's going to come down to they have to execute at a high level, and that starts with the quarterback, Ethan Kaliak-Manis. Ryan Burns covers the Minnesota Gophers over at Gopher Illustrated, part of our 24-7 Sports Network. 
Ryan, this was excellent. Thank you so much for taking us behind enemy lines, giving us some insight into what to expect uh, up at Huntington Bank Stadium this weekend. Uh, Can't wait to see you there. All right. See you in the press box on Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back, folks, on the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com. Alejandro Suniga going behind enemy lines and welcoming in our recurring guest from the Michigan State Football Beat. Got Stephen Brooks from Spartan Tailgate. Stephen, I feel like there were three major storylines for the Michigan State Spartans over the past week. And maybe we can touch a little bit on all of them. Uh, First one that broke kind of before the Michigan State game uh, at Iowa last weekend was that it seemed like there were some NIL uh, shakeups in East Lansing. Uh, there were reports of varying degrees that, that an NIL collective, Spartan Dogs for Life, had canceled or readjusted uh, portions of NIL deals that they had with Michigan State football players. That news was breaking on the eve of that night game uh, that Michigan State lost at Iowa. So what's the latest with that situation? I, I know things have been shaky all fall in East Lansing, given the whole coaching situation, but, but where are things standing with that? Yeah. So they, uh, it was about as bad a timing as you could have asked for. Um, what I heard was that kids were literally getting emails on the team playing, uh, before takeoff. So learning like, Hey, your deal has been revoked, uh, immediately basically. So horrible, horrible timing there for a team that's going through a lot, you know, as you guys all know, and then it was, you know, we've discussed on here. Um, so yeah, the the collective, which just recently, I mean, not even a month ago, I want to say, uh, became the official, you know, university sort of acknowledged sponsor. I don't want to say backed, of course, like they're not the university can't contribute money. We all know that, but they, they've been sort of they, they, you know, they put out a video with Tom Izzo and Robin Freilich, the women's basketball coach, and uh, Adam Nightingale, the hockey coach. Uh, I assume Mel Tucker would have been in it. I think they probably had to do some editing there. I don't think he was just left out initially, but. Uh, the, the university sort of, you know, acknowledged it and embraced it as the official collective. And then, yeah, the news breaks there um, where from they went from sponsoring, you know, from having deals with the majority of the football players, or at least a very good chunk of them, um, to now a select few. The What I heard, it was under five, you know, five or less uh, to those who remain. So big deal there. Obviously, you know, these guys are, you know, they're counting on that money in many regards. Uh you know, it's another blow, another unexpected rug pull, you know, in a season that's pretty much been defined by a major one. Um, so not great there. There's been reports. I don't I don't have this information myself, but other people have reported that uh, this is Sparta, which is another collective, has stepped up and done some things to make it right and sort of try to fill the gap there. I don't have any details for you on that, but that's basically the situation there um, with, with that. And that was supposed to be, again, you know, their big overarching collective that was really supposed to take care of everybody. So that's the news that breaks the night before the game. And it's, or maybe it sounds like, you know, players getting emails or getting told while they're on the plane heading, uh, heading to Iowa for a football game. And then there's a football game itself that happens, of course. And this is one that I had my eye on, you know, I was watching it, uh, 
post game of after after the Michigan Nebraska game out in Lincoln. And it was a game that at least from what I saw, it looked like Michigan State had pretty decent control of for a while, right? I mean, Cade McNamara, yep. uh, he he goes down with an injury. I think it was officially confirmed today uh, that he'll be out for the year. So I was on its backup quarterback. Michigan State drives the ball pretty decently uh, for, for good portions of that game. And then can't pull away, can't pull away. And then, you know, second half, Iowa does what Iowa does uh, and wins a special teams battle. They get a... Uh, they get that punt return for a touchdown from Cooper DeGene, and they end up winning that game 26 to 16. I know Noah Kim had a few backbreaking interceptions, as has been the case for the last couple of weeks, but Spartans on the football field have lost three in a row. It's, it was the sort of game that, again, there were some positives in the way that Michigan State was at least able to move the ball, but still unable to get it done since the Mel Tucker news broke. What were your lasting impressions from that game? as the Spartans head into a bye week. Yeah, I had been saying, you know, and I might have even said it on here, it felt like a, the team had, or at least you could have seen, you know, because I, I don't think the wheels have come off yet, right? You know, I said that after Maryland. I'll say that again here. I don't think these guys have quit or thrown in the towel. I think you can, it's very evident if you watch that game or the Maryland game, you know, I think these guys are still fighting. That's that's number one. And I'm always going to, I'm going to keep saying that because, I mean, this is so delicate and fragile right now that you have to it's it's it has to be at the top of your mind it's like when or if you know will these guys spirits break just given everything that's happened and the possibilities on the table for them so they fought um you like that and when you double up Iowa's rushing total I mean my gosh if you just look at the box score you'd say man Michigan State should have ran away with this thing almost uh, you double up an Iowa team on the ground rushing yardage wise like how many times can you say that and you don't win the game <laughs> it's, it's incredible um they did do something. So, yeah, they ran the ball well, better than they have against any Power 5 opponent. But then the mistakes were absolutely backbreaking, as you said. The three interceptions from Noah Kim, the first one especially, they were they were up 6-3, to three, I want to say. They were driving, you know, would have put them up um, two possessions there. Uh, and, he throws, and he throws a pick out of the back of the end, you know, in the back of the end zone. And the, the mood completely changed there. Whereas Michigan State, you know, they had just, Iowa just lost Cade. They were kind of fumbling over themselves. Michigan State was sort of gaining confidence. It drove back into Iowa territory, and then you throw that pick, and they really didn't regain that uh, that sort of feel of confidence, you know, the rest of the game. It was pretty tight. So, you know, and then later on, you know, you have two backbreaking uh, special teams errors. You know, and Ryan Eckley, their punter, you know, Bryce Barringer just left, got drafted in the NFL, might have been the best punter in program history. He was a really, really good player. And Eckley's having a heck of a night that, you know, he's doing a Bryce Barringer impression until the end, if he shanks one for 15 yards, Iowa kicks the field goal, ties the game. His next punt, um, they were aligned to make it a directional deal. It was supposed to go left. That's where all their coverage was. They had both their gunners on the left side of their formation. And it went sort of middle right and gave Cooper DeGene a short field and a pretty clear alley right up that sideline. Not clear, you know, it wasn't clear as day because they, they definitely could have got him on the ground. There were some bad tackling, some bad angles, but they gave him the best possible path, you know, against that look. Uh, and boom, that basically ended it. So I've just been saying it seems like this team I thought would have one sort of last big punch in it before the wheels come off, if, the, you know, or just or things go to sort of a darker place. And it seemed like that was happening, right? It seemed like it was going to be that feel-good win, even without Cade. You beat Iowa at Kinnick, like that's always a big deal. And it just seemed like things were finally coming together for this team. Like I wrote my column afterwards, something good has to happen for these guys sooner or later, sooner preferably, obviously, for their sake. Um, or you just really wonder about where it could go. And it seemed like that was going to happen, and, and obviously it did not. 
And certainly Michigan State fans are going to spend most of this fall looking ahead. Uh, I know you're just coming from uh, for Michigan State Basketball Media Day. Uh, so, the, so there's something for Michigan State fans to look forward to, of course, is what should be a an exciting Spartan basketball season. Uh, but then there's also, of course, the, the coaching search. And I know that uh, Michigan State leadership sent out a message about that uh, over the weekend or, or in the last couple of days. Uh, I know there have been, you know, rumors flying around already about Urban Meyer, which I suppose makes sense, uh, given that he is not coaching right now, and all the the other college coaching candidates are are for the most part with their respective teams. Uh, Stephen, what's the the latest with that? Knowing that it still is very early in the process, and a lot of this is probably just hearsay. Right. Yeah, I think they're just taking those initial steps right now. You know, Alan Heller put out that that community letter they called it. And just, you know, you said it's going to be a national search, which, of course, you expect to hear. Uh, You said, you know, he expects to talk to multiple people. Uh, You know, the thing that people hung up on is that he said uh, most candidates, you know, are busy with their seasons and their privacy is important and everything. Most people hung up on the most, meaning that you're not saying everybody. You know, there's a candidate out there working on TV that you don't have to worry about a season uh, schedule with and all that. So I just I really, you know, other than everybody having their own names and shortlists and ideas like I don't think there's an official committee put together yet, as far as I'm aware, uh, to assist Alan Haller in this. So, you know, I, I don't even know how many conversations he's had, you know, just with, with people he needs to talk to about how he wants to proceed here. We're very, very early in this. But uh, the latest thing, right, you know, the Urban Meyer is the flavor of the week. I do think that there's some folks around the university and the program that are trying to sort of gauge the public reception to that. Um Hey, look, it might sound pie in the sky to some people, but, uh, you know, he had interest in the job 20 years ago. No, that was 20 years ago. I get it. Uh, he's not doing anything now, though. He's young enough where you could see him getting back into coaching. Obviously, he's familiar with the conference and the region. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't I don't give it a very, you know, we're talking about single digit likelihood, I think, here, percentage wise. But it's not zero, I don't think, either. And And my only thing with that right now is just that Michigan State has to take it seriously. Now, if he shuts them down or whatever, that's fine. And Or if you're only using them as a resource to help you find somebody else and say, hey, Urban, what do you think about X, Y, or Z? You know, that that's fine too. But it can't be summarily dismissed. And I know there's going to be a lot of people. There's some people that would never be comfortable with it, even if he came here and won a national championship. Some people would never fully be okay. My thing is just that Michigan State, the people that are important over there and have power and money, you know, the, the people that are gonna, actually going to be making these decisions – uh, they can't just dismiss him summarily because um, I, I just think that the, he's too good of a coach. He's too good of a fit in so many ways. And there's obviously ways where he's not a fit, but there's so many things aligned where I think that you, you just have to have that conversation and give your due diligence, give him, give him the, a reasonable look and give him that respect. If, if, if they come out on the other side of it and game it out and say, we can't do this, we can't take the hit, or it's just not the right thing, whatever, then that's fine. But to, to not even give him a realistic look, I think would be malpractice. I think they absolutely have to. Speaking of of money and, and financial matters, uh, I, I actually, I, I don't know the answer to this, Stephen, but when the Mel Tucker news first broke, um, the, the idea was there was going to be a committee, uh, there was going to be an investigation and like a, a sort of hearing at Michigan State during the bye week. Is that still on the table or have things changed with that, given that, you know, he's been more formally fired? Yeah, no, my understanding is that's still proceeding. Um, I guess I can't speak to like whether Tucker will show up or be cooperative necessarily, because I I really don't know what obligation he would have um, unless I guess his lawyers are telling him like, 
show up, do this, say this, and the you know present your case in this way or whatever, and this will help us on the back end because he has you know pretty strongly hinted that uh, he's going to be taking legal action and uh, believe suing for wrongful termination and everything. But yeah, I've been kind of curious about that too because he's not a university employee, so would he even have to show up or cooperate in any way? I don't know unless it's or he you know he or his lawyers or whoever think it's advantageous to do that for for their for their betterment later on in this process but as far as i know yeah it's still scheduled and still expected to happen well steven thank you so much i know it's a, it's been a very busy few weeks and uh, especially when you're combining big 10 road trips late night games basketball media day uh, appreciate you taking the time to to take us behind enemy lines over with the michigan state football program we'll talk to you next time absolutely man i'll talk to you next week thanks for having me And that'll do it for this week's episode of Behind Enemy Lines. Plenty more content to come, both on this podcast feed and over at themichiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Our staff, myself, Zach Shaw, Steve Lorenz, Bryce Marich, and of course Sam Webb, we are at every Michigan availability, every Michigan game. We are starting to turn our eye toward basketball and hockey as well. So whether you're looking for recruiting coverage expert breakdowns of what Michigan did to dominate Nebraska the way they did last weekend, statistical analysis of what to expect between the Wolverines and Gophers this weekend, or whether you're just gearing up for hockey season and what should be another fun year on the ice, it's over at the Michigan Insider. Once again, I'm Alejandro Suniga. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time.